Welcome to today's episode of Beyond the Rock podcast. I'm your host, Emily Hernandez, and comedic relief is provided by my co-host, Jeremy Arnst. If you have not yet done so, please click that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Since we have so many unique and informative guests on our show, we would really like to reach as many people as possible. The more this podcast gets shared by humans like yourself, the more we can make that into a possibility. Today's guest is North Carolina native, Cody Bradford. He is an AMGA rock guide who travels all over the United States. Cody lives and works in some of the most amazing mountain ranges and climbing areas in the country. He, Jeremy, and I discuss topics like the evolution of the climbing scene and the need for rock climbers to not just educate themselves in preparation for outdoor climbing, but also the areas they've never climbed at before. Mentorship was also a big topic in this episode, mostly due to the responsibility leaders take on as the community grows. Cody is a kind soul and a wealth of information, so enjoy the show. Poor Cody's like, what did I sign up yeah. for? It'll be crazy. It'll be all right, Cody. I'm ready. Just as long as my audio is okay, I can step inside this little barn I'm at if I need to. I think it's, yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, Cody, do you want to tell Mr. Jeremy about what a plaquette is since that's how we... (laughs) Kick kick it off and kick kick it it off off. in true style. I'm right. Um, (laughs) A a plaquette device and, and plaquette, depending on the translation, as far as I've been able to tell, is literally open book or... Uh, some something along that line, like the shape of an open book. Um, and I don't know how that's related, but that was the, the, regardless, a plaquette device is a blocking device where rope, essentially like a ratchet, where rope can go in one way, but not the other. And it does this based on the direction that the device is in. Um, and uh, via a carabiner that float, floats freely, capturing the rope inside of it. And so it is a one-way ratchet device specific to a tube style device, really similar to a black diamond ATC or Petzl Verso. And so do you, do you use it for belaying? Is that what it's used for? Yeah. When it's used in its plaquette function, it's used to belay from the anchor, generally speaking, or from a fixed point to bring a follower up. Um, of course there are other variations, but that's generally. Tons. Yeah. Tons. And you know, one thing I love, Cody, about looking at either your website, your Instagram, or hearing any kind of audio is that I feel I could ask you just about any nerd style question with techniques and devices, and you have variation A, B, and C, and why it would work and not. Is that, do you like knowing all of those different variations of techniques and styles and products? Uh, Yeah, maybe it's. Uh, my, my, my partner, um, who has a great in, gives me great insight all the time into my, my, my inner workings of how my brain works better than uh, I can describe to myself. Even, uh, I cover a lot of nuance and sometimes to my detriment where I cover a little too much. And I think that's just always been the way I am. And so climbing has given me an outlet to focus entirely on the nuance and come up with all of the different ways. And I think the nice thing about something like Instagram or uh, Instagram specifically, but really any online content is that as a listener, you can pause, pick which piece you want to listen to, which I think suits perhaps me well, because I do, I try not to rant, but I do talk a lot of nuance. 
but um, so perhaps that is why I enjoy it so much. You seem like you enjoy teaching. You can see it in your body language as you're explaining things I, as a viewer and as a climber, I've noticed. So bravo on that. Well, thanks. I, I'm glad it's not my, just my nervousness of being in front of people. Um, <laughs> well, as a content creator as well, I, I do have to question, are you filming in like one take? Do you take multiple takes? Is there somebody that's on the, like, like, I guess kind of put us there when you're doing some of these tutorials. My wonderful partner, Elizabeth Daly on Instagram. Um, this uh, is your life partner and climbing partner? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and most common climbing partner. It's I'm okay. really thankful to have been in a relationship where both of us climb so much right. uh, because during COVID, that's been really nice. Um, so generally, she is filming, and I usually can do one take, but a, at least a quarter of the to a third of the attempts are definitely. Oh, I, I didn't mean to say that. Start over, and and the restart. But I I've only done a couple of videos with editing. Everything else is just, uh, just just one take with a bit of nuance thrown into it to try to keep everything short and simple. One tool, one trick, one bit of nuance done. Uh, mostly because of my inadequacies in the editing world. Okay, you know your strengths. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe. So are your, is the, are your comments on your videos um, just a crazy bunch of people telling you did it wrong or have different opinions because actually right before this, Emily and I were talking, I'm a programmer. And when you're, when you're programming something, there's 18 ways to come up with the right answer. And one of the frustrating things about me, for me, for about rope climbing or sport climbing or rigging or whatever you're doing is that when my life is on the line, I want to know what the right answer is. And then I ask 10 people and I get 10 different answers and it's frustrating. So do you, do you get a lot of people just arguing about your techniques in your comment section? Surprisingly, no, I get actually, I think I get more comments and this is, there's nothing wrong with this. Certainly I get more comments asking if I get a lot of that and I, and I actually don't, I get, yeah, I get more comments of people asking that very question. And, um, and it's, it's, it's funny because I do know that people with much larger accounts than mine do get trolling, but, and if you want to even call it trolling or people who are just genuinely concerned that I'm doing something wrong. And while that certainly happens, and I think oftentimes they have legitimate concerns, uh, my, my, I, I usually just get good discussion. Typically. Um, I really haven't had a lot of that. And I tend to really, I, I think why I love, I love talking with my followers so much because first of all, it's like this little group of friends that I always have no matter where I go. And I feel super thankful that I have that. Um, and people are generally really respectful. There's every once in a while, there's someone with a really deep concern with, certainly a, a, and, and oftentimes a valid point where it's like, oh, you know, I never thought about that. That's a really, that's a, that's a great point, but perhaps they said it in a more vehement way, but um, yeah, in general, I don't have that. Yeah. Yeah. In general, it's often good discussion, I think. And, you know, speaking of discussion, if you don't mind just giving a, a little background as to what it is you do, how you are, where you are right now and what your yearly lifestyle kind of looks like for those who don't know who you are? Well, I'm an AMJ certified rock guide. So uh, I've completed the rock portion of the American Mountain Guides Association uh, guide track program, which includes rock, alpine, and ski. So I've completed rock. I'm moving into the other two disciplines now. Great. Um, yeah. And I take people into the mountains for 
uh, easy way of putting it. And that can look a million different ways from instruction on a multi-day course or guiding a single objective, uh, guiding many objectives on a multi-day um, trip or expedition, all within the realm of rock terrain. So as soon as you sprinkle some snow or a glacier is involved, you start to get into more gray area of, well, what's rock, what's alpine. And, um, but in general, it's uh, uh, straight, straight up rock terrain as complicated as it can be or as simple as it can be. And then yearly I uh, circle back and forth from the Southwest to the Pacific Northwest to the Rockies, um, specifically areas such as Moab around October, Red Rock in November and Salt Lake City. I'm doing a lot of skiing in December through, through February and ice climbing as much as possible. And then back to Red Rock for all of the spring and in the summer, uh, Jackson, Wyoming often, and uh, lately this summer because of COVID, the Cascades, and I've actually kind of fallen in love deeply with the Cascades. So, cool. And you had to drive how long to get to this internet area that you're at? Well, it's funny because our, our, we have internet um, at the house we've been living in, which is an outward bound base. Um, but because there's so many people there, our internet is quite slow and can't handle the load. So I just drove about, it's like 40 minutes away or so. Thank um, you is, so much. Yeah, you know, it's and it's it's great. Well, this is where we have to go get groceries too. So this, oh, okay. it's not like yeah, yeah. If, but I would have done it anyway. It's, I'm I'm always excited to talk to people because I, yeah. So this is no big deal to me. So as someone who like I'm a person, you know, that stays in one spot all year round, and I was just kind of <laughs> curious as to someone who's you know, life is you know, you're moving from place to place. How does that affect your your personal relationships with your friends and your family? I, uh, so personally for me, I'm, I was just listening to your uh, podcast with, with the Haminator herself. Lindsay oh gosh, Hamm, that was one and, of the um, first ones. I just did a clinic I, with her. Oh, good. Yeah. A huge fan of, of the Haminator. Um, so yeah, Lindsay, shout out to you. And, um, out, Lindsay. The, yeah. So, uh, yeah, excellent guide, um, and person, but, I uh, she was just talking about, um, introversion and whatnot and uh well i think you had brought it up and uh, i'm a completely introverted person and uh i i have very i feel i i personally feel like i have very little extroversion about me and so for me it, living on the road has been generally quite easy again i'm very privileged to be with a partner who climbs and we do the exact same things and we live the same lifestyle um and so in that way i kind of always have a relationship um, of some kind, especially a deep one. And so for me, it feels fairly comfortable to always be back and forth. And all the friends that I do have, we all are in that similar boat of understanding where, yeah, I'll see you in six months. Um, uh, it's been tough at times, for sure. I mean, uh, when I first started doing this, especially living on the road and spending like, weeks by myself, uh, and having perhaps too much introspection. But in general, for me, it's, it, it's really fits well with my social dynamics. So yeah, that's, that's me though. <clears throat> yeah. I was listening. I want to say maybe it was two years ago. You did a podcast with, um, oh, becoming human. I think it yeah. was almost a two hour podcast. I'm an only child. <laughs> a lot. No, it's, I, no, I totally dug it. Totally, mm. you know, different, um, outlooks and also, um, I got to know you a little bit before I get to know you now. Mm -hmm. And um, you mentioned that you kind of like to have these, not arguments with yourself, but almost, you know, you uh, you do a certain technique and you're looking at it and how does that 
work with the principal, I think was the word that you said, or the principal of what you're doing. Um, you know, you started in water sports. Yeah, kayaking, canoeing. You know, and then you evolved and now you're in this rock guide and extremely um, life-changing type of lifestyle that you give to other people. And so, you know, what are the shining moments in your job? Like, what are those things that either when you see it in your client or you experience it by yourself that you're just like, yes, this is exactly why I do what I do. And, and it's all been worth it. Like, what are wow. those? There's so many of those. <laughs> I, I mean, I, if it were to bring me the most joy, it's watching someone not just turn on to the moment, but also the culture, like of mountain culture in general, and all of its facets where seemingly you watch on the face of an individual's just preconceived notions and perceptions in general just fall away. And the thing that they are, are, are now are reaping is that just raw enjoyment, that understanding of, oh, I get it now. And, and whatever there is to get, I mean, is, is completely open to interpretation in the individual, but they have that moment that I had, I, I feel like. And that is probably one of my favorite moments is and it, and it can look so many different ways it's someone figuring out how to oh you can do that with that device that's so great like they that just made their life so much easier um or it's the moment where they're they haven't summited yet but just in that moment they look around and there's just this sheer joy washes over uh, and it's that just raw appreciation for for enjoying what it is to be maybe it's a feeling of freedom maybe whatever it is but that moment is my favorite i dig it yeah for sure i definitely dig <clears> it <throat> um i had something on the tip of my tongue but jeremy's cough distracted me hold on I cough. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been you... me clearing my throat i, I do that as a nervous tick <laughs> It's totally fine. I got in that moment because I experienced that stuff with Lindsay out at Pine Creek and learned how to build an anchor with the rope, three pieces, you know, having two pieces and backing one up and just these things that she brought to mind and then feeling this granite that I hadn't felt before and doing a sport route that took 14, you know, quick draws and being at the top and being terrified, even though I was on top rope, but I, in South Texas, I don't know if you've been Cody, but we have very short routes. <laughs> We do not say, have sweeping 14 quick views. draws is too many quick draws. 14 quick draws is probably, um, let's see, yeah, almost three, possibly four of our Rhymer's, route, Rhymer's routes on limestone. So um, anyways, you took me to that place when you were explaining. <sighs> oh, that's funny because in North Carolina, where I'm from, um, and where I learned to climb, you you might see, oh, great, I only need four draws. So it's like a a 40 foot or 50 foot route at most. And then you get in there like, Oh, this is a 120 foot pitch and there's only four bolts on it. Uh, okay. <laughs> so it is, it is, that, that is a really funny metric. I was having this discussion the other day with uh, another, a mentor, a mentor of mine uh, named Ron Funderburk and discussing the difference between a, a, a true sport route versus a traditional route. And because it's bolted. So it's funny. That just reminded me of that. Well, I guess as a, a, you know, for a traditional route, do you consider it traditional if there's still a bolt here and there somewhere around the route in regards to where it could have been just severely traumatic if you, if you fell? Um, do you consider that still like a, a traditional route if a retro bolt is thrown on? 
Certainly, yeah. And as my friend would say, the, uh, if we go to Stone Mountain in North Carolina where there can be one bolt on a 50-foot pitch, but there's no other protection, the one bolt is just placed at 35 feet or whatever, and, and, and that's what you get. I'd very much call that a, 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 a bolt-protected traditional route. Uh, and the idea being, if the original idea behind whatever traditional climbing is, is this ground-up pursuit, then that person stopped there and placed the only available protection, which was to sit there and drill or hand drill a bolt. And that's very much traditional, despite the fact that it's a fixed piece of protection. So okay. you know, part of my pursuit in educating anyone is if they see something and it says sport route, I think a better way of like, for example, mountain project as a platform to do it is to say, have some parameters around why it's a sport route. Um, because you know, North Carolina, especially being in other states as well on the East Coast, but just from my perspective in North Carolina, a lot of areas having bolts does not, does not necessarily mean just show up with a, rat, a rack of quick draws and you're okay. Um, it's certainly a traditional route, despite the fact that it contains bolts. And what condition are those bolts in? Thankfully, things are getting much better across the country with that. But something else to consider is the quality of that. And so do you find in most guidebooks that they're uh, true to tell or uh, is it because I know that some guidebooks just leave out a lot and it's because either they were old and they haven't been, um, what's the word, not revamped, but there haven't been new additions that come out. And so, you know, as a climber, um, are you depending on both a guidebook and something like Mountain Project or how, how prepared should you be going to a new area where you think, in this example, you're just climbing sport routes and then you come to find out that this gear is old and we may need some other protection that we didn't know on Mountain Project or. Right, the, I think just like you would do with weather, you're, the more sources you have, the more accurate picture that you can paint. Mm -hmm. um, and while I think it's easy in any of those to get sucked down a rabbit hole, you know, paying too much attention to this one topo in this one guidebook, paying too much attention to this one comment and this comment thread about that same route uh, and, and vice versa, or, you know, trusting that mountain projects can have all of the information, trusting that the guidebook will have all the, I think when you cross-reference, the more you cross-reference, the more information you get ultimately. Um, as a guide, I'll go further. I'll call people who've done the route. I want to know, Hey, are there any area, are there any big ledges? Is this ledge that the guidebook talks about? Is it actually a big ledge or is it like, you know, it fits kind of three people. Okay. Um, just cause the guidebook calls it a big ledge. Is it really a big ledge? Uh, you know, and, and this goes back and forth between guidebook authors. I mean, guidebook authors take, uh, creative liberties with how they feel the, the, um, the foregoing of, of making a route description, how much, information are you going to give? I mean, that's up to the guidebook author and that's going to change with their growing of writing guidebooks as they go along. Uh, it's going to change region to region. And I think having the more information you want, the more information you could have. I mean, it's out there. There's even POV videos now of people doing routes that you probably want to do. Um, and so I think that cross-referencing is, is generally my way of going, but, you know, and, uh, the North Carolina selected climbs at looking glass on the South side, there is a ledge called stage ledge. And on the right side, it says there is a third class approach to get onto it. If you have been there and you have expected a third class and, uh, approach wherein you're just maybe using both of your hands, but the climbing is extremely easy. As soon as you get to the top of that third class in air quotes ramp, uh, you now have, you know, 
a low fifth class move, but a fifth class mantle move nonetheless that you have to make and you're 50 feet off the ground at that point, you know, and it's not dead vertical, but it would be a really nasty tumble down that slab again, you know, and it's just a, you're calling that third class. Uh, ultimately, I think the best thing is to gather all that information. If information, if you're an information heavy, you have an information heavy need and get better at assessing the route yourself. I mean, you should be able to stand under most of it and look and say to yourself, that's third class, that's fourth class, that definitely matches up, that does not match up, this guidebook was potentially just wrong or erroneous, and really just being able to interpret information in the raw is what I advocate people to try to really build. So I have kind of a two-part question. Climbing has kind of gone from the extreme to mainstream. Would you agree? In a, in a very different way, yes. I mean, back in the 80s, we had, you know, people selling Ford Broncos with, with rock climbing, but I think now it's actually part of the culture. Yeah, totally. And with that comes tons of excitement and um, sometimes big, big egos. And uh, as a woman who was new on the scene at one, at one time, if there are people who are really looking to climb outside and they're new to the community, they really don't know anything about climbing. They know that you can go to places like REI and get a harness and shoes and whatever. Is a guide the number one best source to get your feet wet with outdoor climbing if you can afford a guide for a day or get a group of people to join you in a guided activity versus hopping onto a forum Hey, my name is Emily. I'm 24 years old, which I'm not. And I'm looking for someone to take me out rock climbing. And you get a slew of guys just like, I'll take you out. I'll take you out. What do you need? This and that. I have this. What would you as a guide recommend in that situation? Well, uh, (laughs) first of all, as a guide with a conflict of interest and a straight white male, uh, it, it, uh, how I make, I'm going to try to be very balanced with, with this, but because in my opinion, the answer is somewhere in, in between. I, I don't necessarily know. I mean, for one person, hiring a guide is definitely going to be the way to go for another. And fortunately now there, there are guides of all representations that are building across the board, which I really am excited about. And I hope that continues. Um, and on the other side, I do think that some, uh, individuals just, I mean, guides are really expensive and I, I think it would be unfair to, to say that hiring a guide is, and, and I think largely untrue that hiring a guide is the single best way. And so I think uh, joining a, a, a club is often a good way of getting into it because often clubs are like, for example, the local American Alpine club chapters. And I'll plug the American Alpine club a lot here just because I think as this kind of standard of, of climbing education specific, you know, whereas the American Mountain Guides Association focuses on training guides and, and advocating uh, for guides in the public eye and also teaching, uh, educating themselves, the AAC is specifically devoted to that purpose um, and translating climbing education. So getting involved with a local club are often guides themselves starting those chapters. And so often you have these guides and instructors as mentors, um, and you often have a lot more representation uh, as well, just across the board from um, uh, people who identify all different um, in all different ways. And I think that ultimately what you end up getting is a broader 
sphere of influence that way. And I think it's both cost effective and simultaneously uh, more representative. And then eventually, if that leads, it, it tends to draw people, I find, from those aspects who are really curious to learn and they are excited about the prospect of just getting new information from sources. And I also can always generally advocate everything that the American Alpine Club is putting out as far as education, I will stand behind because that is what their actual job is. So um, I would say that somewhere in the middle is what I would suggest is find a chapter, get a feel for what you feel like the chapter looks like and, and, and go with that. And then after that, hire, hire, go hire Lindsay Ham for a day <laughs> and, we, uh, we you know, and, and, and get a, yeah. And, and a hire, yeah, but hire a guide who you, who you trust for a day and, um, you know, do your research, be a, be a consumer that is educated on the subject. Um, what are, what are their credentials? What are, what do they, you know, do they stand behind things that you feel like you stand behind and, uh, do all the things that you would do if you were purchasing anything else, but eventually, yeah, great. Get all of the things you can, but to start out, that's what I would recommend is looking into those local organizations, especially if they're American Alpine club affiliated. I do agree. So we often talk about the importance of mentorship and climbing on this podcast. And earlier you mentioned one of your mentors. Can you tell, about, tell us more about some of your mentors and how they influenced you? Yeah, my, I mean, mentors are, I think what I've, what I saw in them as people that I was immediately attracted to as mentors was their ability to speak uh, in, in ways that both sounded passionate and you could tell they really are thinking carefully about what they're saying. And I was initially drawn to just how, for example, my friend Ron Funderburk is one of the, he, he was the, he's the education director now for the Colorado Mountain School and was the education director for the American Alpine Club for a while. And we met in North Carolina and he's, when he speaks and teaches, he is so careful with the words he chooses and uses the word that fits that context always because he's also an English major and has a master's in English, I believe. And, and so I was really drawn to people who cared about that. And then eventually that changed into just people who were looking to educate from a point of social change. So people who not only could do that, but are also advocating for, you know, I don't see a huge representation um, in X community in the climbing world. And that really frustrates me. And so I'm going to go target that. And so that's generally where my mentors are coming from are people who challenge my ideas as well and preconceived notions and who just are always seeking to, okay, but what does current information say? And what do those, how, how do I push those forward in my life and then educate other people in the cleanest way I can. And so I think that's all something my mentors all had in common. I mean, there's so much more, but in general, I think just off the top of my head, that's what I'm drawn to. And a lot of my mentors just, of course, their passion as well. I mean, people who just eat all of this is their, their entire life. And so I was just curious from your standpoint, do you have any concern or do you see any concern with the amount of gyms that are opening up and the amount of people coming into the climbing community and possibly like a lack of mentorship as they start to go outside? The mentorship gap is something I think that has been building for a while, the last decade that I've listened to conversations on the subject. 
is it exists. I, I think that yes, as more gyms open up, it's going to be you're of course just going to get an increase of people. That just inevitably is going to increase statistically the amount of people getting themselves into situations. Now, whether that's due to a lack of mentorship or not, I'm sure that we could probably find that. So I, it is a concern that with popularity, there is particularly in the U.S. because we don't have an, a, a nationally recognized standard for what climbing education is. And often we're as climbers, I mean, especially climbers that have been in the game for a while, we're often resilient to updating the way we, we teach things based on around that. We're like, well, no, people just need to go figure that out on their own. And that's not something I advocate for. Um, so I think with the opening of gyms, it's, it's has its positives, it has its downsides. I think positively, uh, first of all, it's introducing people to climbing who ordinarily wouldn't be able to. I, and, and I know that it's going to inevitably lead to more crowds and more places, but I also think that in turn leads to better upkeep and better uh, recognition of, of how precious the resources are in the first place. So I, again, I think downsides and upsides there. Uh, I also think that gyms are a great way, first of all, just to uh, become a good climber. The leading causes of accidents is being on lead and something happening during the leading process. And a gym makes you ultimately a a, a fairly confident leader in many respects. While it leaves some things out, certainly you're just going to get better at being on the sharp end. You're going to make, be able to assess routes and you're going to know your own climbing ability better. I think the downsides is that because in this country, we don't necessarily have a standardization of what a climbing gym, for example, needs to meet. Although there are definitely uh, gyms and organizations trying. Um, I think the concern is that people get a mismatch of information. It's all good information, but it's sometimes because climbing is so different and there's so many variations, there's not much context to gain from being in, in the gym. And so I think that's where online education often comes in. Um, you know, online education can take you to the mountains to some small degree. Um, and, you know, of course the other concern, yes, is there aren't going to be enough mentors. And so who is establishing themselves as a mentor? I don't really like getting into that because I start that starts to make kind of sound a little elitist and but I do am concerned because the Dunning Kruger effect is a total measurable thing that does happen especially in something a profession or a pursuit like climbing. And so I think that's the second concern there is that you know you know enough to know what you know but you don't know enough to know what you don't know. And so it's that that the not knowing what you don't know part is certainly a concern with with climbing gyms but um, with, with climbing gyms, you said, with, yeah, with, with, with having a climbing gym versus going out and learning in the raw and, and at a crag or in, in, in the environment. But, uh, again, I tend to lean more positive in, in the realm of gyms, just because I do think that gyms are trying to do well, to do a good job. I, I just, I think at the end of the day, I just hope there's some kind of push for standardization for who's teaching. But when you can do that, um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's a conflicted narrative, I think, but one that I I'm glad is happening. I'm glad climbing gyms have become a thing and are pushing things. And I love going to the climbing gym, and I often see good things at the climbing gym. Not always, <laughs> not always, but that's in life. That's though. going to that's be it. inevitable anywhere you go, and it's not the person's fault. You know, that's doing like you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, 
And I think a lot of it too is people who are interested in climbing outside and are patrons of rock climbing gyms, they don't know that little bridge in between transferring what they've done climbing inside and then getting outdoors and doing so um, appropriately. There's etiquette. And also you want to be able to walk out of there in one piece. <laughs> and I just feel like there's kind of a little missing puzzle piece that I wish I could, I could figure out the formula you know, to share with people who have that like inkling of, I'd really like that, but like, I don't even really know where to, don't really know where to begin. So I'll just stay inside. Yeah. You know, I, I I was, um, I thought I was going to be a musician for years. And, and, uh, so I, I, I played bass in the studio for a little while. And, um, one of my mentors in that realm was a, um, person by the name of Victor Wooten, amazing bass player, um, and teacher. And he would always say, you know, you're only ever one, you're only ever a half step away from the right note. So how do you make that half step that you just messed up and, and played the half step below or above? How do you make that half note off? Correct, right? You're only ever a half step away. And I think that with this, like you're saying, that missing piece, I mean, can you're, you're only a half step away from it, right? I mean, there's, it, it is there. And I think that examples are, for example, going outside, you know, like, hey, every, people in this gym, at least some of them are going to go climb outside. And so there should be posters on the wall saying, thinking about going outside, remember these things. And it's not going to be perfect. And not everyone's going to read it all the time. And, you know, and every time they teach a lesson, oh, at the end of it, and hey, if you enjoyed this lesson, you think you're going to go outside, remember these things. And the more you can do that, the more it starts becoming um, the narrative. And I think that that will ultimately and inevitably help. And encouraging people to donate to when they can um, to causes that will keep up crags and educate people for free. Um, and I also think it's where online content can come in as well. Um, the more of us that are spreading that message, the more that message gets out there. All right. Do you have any kind of programs, virtual programs, maybe that COVID sparked um, where you maybe do like a five, I kind of talked to Lindsay about this a little bit, like a five video um, kind of tutorial and maybe you pay like $9.99 and you get private access to it. Uh, have you ever thought of doing anything like that that are more in depth or maybe people could submit questions to you and you do like a little, you know, Q&A at the end? Have you ever thought of that? I have, and I haven't done it mostly because I'm a, I, I have my own fears of just tackling anything. Perhaps that's why my Instagram account has just always stayed the same across the board. Um, it's gotten you 30,000 so, followers, so you're doing it right, man. So you're, doing all right. you're doing all right. Yeah, and so I, I, I'm like kind of like, well, the formula is working. I'm just going to keep doing it. Um, I, I, but I am, I, and I do have some of that. I tried to release a little bit of it on YouTube where I actually went into like iMovie and edited things. And uh, so I do have a YouTube channel. It is connected. It's on, um, and it's just my name, so it's it's easy to find. But you know, it has like a, maybe a close to a thousand subscribers on it. But that's kind of less of the point. Is that yeah, I was thinking about things like that, but it was mostly topics that I just my brain is constantly thinking about. For example, the concept of redundancy and how we think about it in one way, but perhaps I can change the conversation to another thing. Um, yes, I think that eventually what is ultimately going to happen though, especially with COVID and especially with just things moving the way they're moving and people getting more and more competent and comfortable on the internet, um, is going to be online content that I can produce myself and set my own rates for and, um, ultimately figure out a way for discussion pages. Mark Smiley is an individual who's been doing a lot of that and, um, he's 
been very creative at it, and I have to give him credit. Uh, his, you know, he has a Facebook page after you buy one of his courses where you just get private access to it, and then you can get in there with other people from the course and have discussions, moderated, of course. And um, I think that's really forward thinking, and I think that's the future of of climbing education mm -hmm. ultimately. Uh, and I also, again, want to say the American Alpine Club has actually a wonderful series of videos as well. Um, yes. There's a lot of online content, actually, that's that's quite good. And if you see that little AMGA logo next to it, if you see the American Alpine Club, um, generally speaking, that's that's good information. Definitely quality. I I do remember my question from earlier. Oh, cool. um, I think when we were talking about Instagram, are you inspired and uh, by, oh, are, you, are you inspired? Of course you're inspired. Look at what you do. Um, do you get inspired um, before you do these videos? Like for example, did you have maybe a conversation with another guide or were you doing something with a client and you're like, oh, you know what? That would actually be a great video. Is that how your videos come about or are you just twiddling around and you're like, hey, People need to know about how to make a three-piece anchor with the rope in, in case they dropped all their gear on the way to the anchor <laughs> or something. Yeah, it's all of the above. It comes from everywhere. I mean, there's something where I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And, and people, I think, have asked me, do I have a plan for my account? And I don't. <laughs> um, I actually do just do it. It is just a pastime. I don't, I don't treat it as a business. I don't treat it as a plan. And maybe I should. I know that that doesn't seem very smart. Um, perhaps from a business standpoint, but I just, I think I care more about just going and doing it. And the Instagram account does allow me to just take that. Yeah. Like you said, um, oh, today I, I realized, oh, I do do that. Don't I, I do that. Don't I, why don't I, that, that deserves a, a video. And, uh, my partner might tell me something and say, you should make that into content or especially my followers, uh, recently have. Um, come out and said, Cody, can you do some videos on this? And so oftentimes I say, well, that doesn't really work with the one minute platform that I'm given on Instagram. That deserves like a long form video that's probably going to take me a year to make, <laughs> um, which it, hopefully I get better at that. But yeah, that's so it's uh, it comes from everywhere. But generally, yeah, it's just someone or something gives me the idea. And I say oh, that deserves a video because that's you know, you were saying earlier about, you know, there's this little key that's missing. And really the whole point of my account is to find those little keys, because I'd like to think that, for example, if you want to do a big route, it's not how fast you're climbing. It's all the things you're doing that are not climbing. The efficiency right? and effectiveness as you are ascending and getting your stuff together. Is that what you're... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the fluidity of moving the the freedom that comes with that. I, I would love to be in a world where people can feel free to do that because they have all these other tools and a toolkit that, oh, because I can do this, this, this way, it creates that extra bandwidth that I'm able to utilize. And so that's kind of the whole, the whole Tech Tip Tuesday idea when I started it in 2017 was, you know, there's these pieces that I see my guests not doing and, and 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 it's not their climbing at almost ever it's it's the things that they do it's the recalculations that need to happen because the this one tool could have been implemented that saved all this other time and so i try for my videos it's like that's okay that's a key right there and so it's going to have its own video yeah, I think also the way that I realized how important it was, Lindsay also brought this to my attention, but you don't want to be, you know, serene being the one of the acronyms, um, solid equalized, redundant, not extended, timely. She said, was it serene? Uh, anyways, there was one with it, earnest. 
Mm-hmm. Ernest, I yeah, think. Yeah, Ernest, uh, there's a bunch yeah. of them. And I was like, T, what do you mean timely? And she's like, well, you just don't want to be, and I'm not speaking verbatim, but like futzing with everything for too much. And then I watched another video because I was nerding out and the guy was like, okay, think about it. If you have a 10 pitch route and you're at the anchors and you're spending an extra five minutes on either trying to figure out a better way for the leader to get above you, you know, or moving around your rope and not worrying about maintenance. And then now you need to worry about it. You have 10 pitches that adds a whole lot of extra time to your route. When, if you did it more efficiently and effectively, if you set yourself up for success, then you can be a lot more smooth as you mentioned. Yeah. And I covered that in a YouTube video I did about redundancy where often in in pursuit of redundancy, because we don't necessarily think about it uh, in the terms that, um, so for example, we say, well, okay, well, redundancy requires all like a second thing. Why then do I just have one carabiner on my harness to belay? That seems very important. After all, a lead fall generates a lot of force. Why is one carabiner? And I get into that in that video. Um, but the, um, what we're, what we're missing there is just, there's, we make all these extra steps because we think it's adding security and it's while oftentimes the effect is neutral, what it is doing is that it's adding all this extra steps that are unnecessary and, and, and less timely. And on a big popular route, Birdland is a great example in Red Rock. You actually cause issues for other people as well. For example, descending parties trying to use the anchor that you are ascending um, and, and taking up in a way that is not inconsiderate of those individuals, but doesn't take those individuals into account. And so tools just allow that process to be way more open and it and it it's a win-win with a very simple step or a very simple piece of knowledge um yeah so i think that's a, a piece of the timeliness as well often if you're taking a lot of time you're probably overcomplicating something that doesn't need to be overcomplicated but that's probably true in life in general <laughs> <laughs> i'd agree so definitely true with me so i'm going to bring up something that i haven't talked about in a while huh? and uh <laughs> is my idea of a video about how to manage the logistics of big wall climbing for people who have no interest in big wall climbing. Like, like I watched like the watch, I watched like the Dawn wall and I'm like, how do they do that? Like, I don't want to learn all the nuances of how to do it. I just want you, I want someone to show me, okay, here's the logistics of it. They're going to set these ropes and this is what these ropes are going to be used for. And heavy they're going to ascend that, these how ropes. How heavy is that black diamond haul bag? That's just the big old bucket. Like, you know, you know and, and when he's, when you're doing a traverse at 25, you know, 2,500 feet and you fall, how do you get back to the anchor point to start over again? You know what I mean? Like, or even dumb things for me, like you, you watch a video of a pro climber and they're like, they're doing their first ascent, but there's all brand new draws on the route. Like how'd those draws get Did there? you wrap down? <laughs> Did you put, yeah. He wants to know the deeds. What's there's, the word there's on all that? these magic right? things that happen in climbing videos that I'd like someone to explain to me at some point. This this goes into just climbing media and how it's presented, right? I mean, uh, so yes. uh, so Irene Yi, um, yes, Lady Lockoff on Instagram, yeah, it's a good friend, and she she actually has a climbing photography course. Yes, she and does. I, I don't want to spoil anything; just take the course from her. But one of the one of the things is that okay, well, how do those draws get there? I'll tell you. They they put the draws there before the camera turned on. You know, they, they went up and they yeah. probably were not sent And if they were doing it ground up, which often to be fair to them, they often are, um, those, those draws are going on clip, clip yourself in, hang on it, clip, clip yourself in, hang on it. And so that, and then the camera, then they lower back down, pull the rope, then the camera turns on and now you're seeing them go up there and all those draws are there. Right. Uh, it's, it's dramatic effect yeah. for sure. I mean, the Honold's first movie that kind of really put him on the map, at least in the mountain community was, 
was alone on the wall and that was not his first attempt doing that they he just lowered in with a harness to the middle of half dome on the northwest face and took his harness off and then started soloing and the camera started going I mean, that's how he has a, uh, his first interview on the Enormacast. They go into that and just what that, I think it was that I, either way, but that's what's happening. I mean, he's going into, in his book, even he talks about how, you know, when he was doing the uh, Moonlight Buttress, mm-hmm. they, he had sold that by himself. Then he went back and filmed it. He lowered in, took his harness off and kind of gets a little cocky in it where he's like, do you want me to pose like this now? <laughs> Uh, with his fingers it totally in the finger sounds lock. like him, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could just go down if you want me to, and I'll go up again. Uh, yeah, so a lot of that is climbing, is climbing media. Um, but yeah, Big Wall, uh, to your point of, of Big Walling, it is true. There is, Chris McNamara has some old videos from the like, mid-2000s on YouTube, I believe, of kind of some of the processes of Big Wall climbing. But organizing a Big Wall uh belay is a bit of an art form it's going to change every way it looks but it's true no one has any uh content on that that i've seen no one really has uh, anything about big walling i think partly because big walling as a concept is largely a dying sport it's kind of all about the doing it in a day now kind of thing it's the freeing the route in a day and um that's a good point you know, I, that that. I think in yosemite it's very much alive for sure. I mean, if you go on El Cap, people are, are big walling for sure. They are taking five days on the route and that's, that's the way it is. But I do think that in general, it's partly because that's not where popular culture and climbing is leaning. But yeah, there, it's a niche that's missing. And I don't big wall very much. And because just like every, most other people, it's just one of those things where one, it's scary. Um, for me, it's just standing on aid climbing in general is just a lot of times standing on things that are just not good. You know, climbing gear on gear that's just not very good in the first place, hence why it's an aid route, not a free route. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. Someone should. It is. I think I, I don't think I'm going to be the one to do it because I'm not very organized. I'm going to do it, and everyone's going to be like, "Oh, this is how you do it." Like, no, no, no you got to understand. There's people way better at this than me. So, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I love your I'm honesty it out there. So in regards to the evolution of climbing in the past five or 10 years as, as a guide, also just as a um, enjoyer of climbing, what have you seen evolve the most socially in regards to the type of people that come out and in regards to, as you mentioned, big wall climbing being the dying type of climbing um, just since everyone's wanting to do the, you know, freeing in a day, yada, yada, yada. What have you seen evolve the most? Oh, wow. Uh, I'll try to center it on one thing. Just from the climbing itself, the actual styles and everything, I just think traditional climbing is traditional multi-pitch climbing exploded. Everyone wanted to go high and they wanted to go uh, and and they wanted it to be no fixed protection. They wanted it to be adventurous. So uh, I think that that in general was happening before my time in climbing, which in relative terms is, is very recent. But in general, that just exploded because when I started, it was most people in my circles were sport climbing around on single pitch crags, certainly because it was in North Carolina, there was a lot of traditional climbing going on. Um, so just from, from the perspective of people are going bigger and they're climbing harder. <laughs> That's the, and, and it's traditional climbing too. I mean, I think the perspective is often that, oh, you know, Adam Andre is just a sport climber. No, Adam Andre climbs really well in Indian Creek, you know, placing his gear. I mean, um, a lot of uh, 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 um, people who 
climb like started like Emily Harrington started climb out as a gym climber climbing sport and she, she goes and climbs huge big walls like freeze mini routes on El Cap and that just seems to be the thing it's climb really hard climb scary routes sometimes uh and and uh, and big that that seems to have just become re- which is cool because that's partly why I got into it I'm like oh the bigger and the more adventurous the better uh even if I can't will never climb 13r it's fun to watch other people do it. Um, so I <laughs> so, think just well, so in climbing, why do you think that was? Do you think it was because it's it, it became more of a um, a sport due to the advent of gems, or do you think just the the athleticism was just getting higher and higher, and so the competitive nature of humans and you know climbers in this relationship we have? Do you think that's what made it explode? Like I want to put this gear in. I want to trust my stuff. I don't want to depend on bolts. You know what's your? Do you think that's part of it? I think it's all of the above. Uh, um, I, I would think that just in general, we always, we, in, in all things, we are standing on the backs of the people who came before us. Right. And, Agreed. and, yes. and so as those successive generations get uh, better and better, even if climbing never became popular, it would still be progressing. It would progress somewhere. I think with the explosion of popularity, you have now given the vision to people who ordinarily may have not been climbers, but have the abilities and the means to go out and do that. And now as more and more, and thankfully more and more push is happening to um, be more inclusive to climbers of color, um, the black and indigenous communities, as more women climb, as people who um, uh, identify in all realms of gender uh, inclusion start to climb. You're going to have even more push in in those directions because just people who are going to be more athletic, uh, who have better, uh, just uh, um, stronger abilities, just from a mental and physical perspective, like that's just going to keep pushing in that direction. And now it's just found a way to grow exponentially as opposed to incrementally as it was for so long it's because now it's just seen as culture now kind of like in europe where well yeah you just go on a climbing trip of course that's what you do <laughs> you know i mean yeah and it's it? oh go ahead i was gonna say I, i've definitely seen that like my friends who i climb with started out in bouldering gyms mm-hmm. got strong started sport climbing got stronger and now a lot of them are going to colorado you hire a guide and to learn how to multi-pitch trad climb. And now they're coming home and wanting to buy racks and get out to enchanted rock, which is our local trad area. And, um, I'm just sticking with bouldering. It's okay. You want to climb, (laughs) climb some short pink granite and very magical lands. Cody, you should come down and join actually Lindsay ham. Uh, she said that she would like to come down to South Texas. She's from the woodland or excuse me. I always say that she's from Kingwood, which is around Mm -hmm. Houston. And, um, I'm hoping to get her down for a clinic uh, next spring and maybe even Miss Katie Lambert as well. We would love to have her join. Um, Should definitely come to Central Texas in July. I think August would be. (laughs) It's no, super terrible. It's just this really, really unique pink granite. Um, Have you, have you ever been to South Texas at all or Texas decline? No, no, I'm, I'm, Fair. The only place in Texas I've even been to, even just personally, uh, for any reason, was was Waco Tanks. Okay. So magical out there. Well, at least you got a taste of really it. Really cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But no, I, I won't. I won't ever poo poo Austin. I think that 
no matter what you have, I mean, in Richmond, Virginia, they literally have a bridge that is now a rock climbing area, an old stone bridge. So um, wherever gets people on the rock at the end of the day, I mean, my, one of my biggest passions is just like, I, if you have very few means of getting to climbing, I want you to have as little of a pathway to that as possible or as wait, hold on. I want you to have as easy of a pathway to follow to that as, as, as humanly possible. Um, and then from there, I hope that you're able to get education as well. But, uh, I just, I, I want to know that everyone has at least equitable opportunities to get to climbing. So I, I don't, I won't poo poo enchanted rocks. I, every, <laughs> I know that everyone from it's everyone from Texas, is like, Oh, well we have enchanted rock, but yeah, I think it's awesome that y'all have enchanted rock. That's amazing. It is. It so, really yeah, it really is. And and the accessibility is obviously an issue to get, you know, all people able to come out and have the same experience. But I do know that you have some educational experience in psychology. Am I correct? You studied some psychology? I have a minor in psychology. Minor so in psychology. Be, be, be very, let's, yeah, as we tread into that terrain, let's make everyone aware of that. <laughs> Minor in psychology. The question yeah. is just a little woo-woo-y, I suppose. How do you feel psychology and mindset and managing what goes on internally translates to what you're doing on the rock? And like how much positive effect does rock climbing have to the soul and just your being? What's your opinion on that? From a, just a sheer scientific perspective to, to uh, perhaps make it more boring, I guess, is to say that, uh, I mean, so me, Csikszentmihalyi, um, a psychologist who studied, a lot, who studied sports and the, this, the state of what he described as flow is something where, you know, a, a, a basketball player is just hitting, hitting three point after three point after three pointer. And, and, and as they get, more confident and better they find this state of where they're acting more unconsciously and i think just from the perspective of just climbing itself for me anyway it, it you are just moving you're in this process you're in the thick of it and then however that displays for you is is this state of flow that you find yourself in and everything else just kind of fades away and you just find this place where you feel like you are you feel on top of the world. You're moving in a way that is, that it, that is just uh, biomechanically accurate to your, <laughs> to your, to to what you want to feel and what you want to do. And I think that's a large part of why perhaps people start climbing. They're like, "Wow, that is really cool." And for me, it's the whole perspective. But for some, it might just be the movement itself. Um, you know, for me, it's like, "All right, how can I make, you know, my my transitions better?" And when I'm guiding, like, okay, how can I make their experience, my guest's experience, as seamless as humanly possible? And I just get completely caught up and wrapped in that, sometimes to my detriment. <laughs> but um, so maybe that's it uh, from a psychological standpoint is just this sense of flow. And, and spiritually for someone, I can completely understand how that you just feel this connection with wherever you are in that moment, especially if you're passionate about where you are. But I, I can imagine that that is a, a a draw for people, and I think it's something where even if you're not necessarily having fun in the moment, it's that type two fun premise where it's not fun that in the moment, but it's fun afterwards. You forget about all the times it wasn't fun because later you're just wow, you only remember the flow state you were in. And how often does that happen as humans, right? I mean, we in life, we, yeah, 
we 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 just as our psychology remembers the failures not the not the successes or more readily remembers failures because we're training ourselves so that we don't fail again so we remember the failures but climbing even when you're failing you typically for some reason we always just go back to it and it's I would like to think that climbing subverts that narrative enti- entirely. So that's that's what I'm sticking well, with. That's I, I, my unscientific opinion. No, but I think you said that, what was the term, the second, not the second, like when you reflect on what you just did, the second, um, completely. Secondary fun. The secondary oh, flow. Oh, type two fun. Type two fun. Type two No, because um, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, you have an epic and you think about how terrified you were and you're going through it and you're keeping the morale up and you're exhausted and you're low on food and you're low on water and you get there. But then the next day when you share it with your friends or your group, you're like, dude, this is just what I went through. And you start talking about the belay station and the elements. And I think you're absolutely right with that. It It renders this... I don't know, this, this feeling that just stays with you. And for me, my failures help me learn um, quicker because I think about what could have happened. Do you feel that your successes or your failures are the better teachers or do you feel it's equally or dependent on the scenario? I know, tons of questions. Oh no, it's okay. This might turn out to be a glass half full, half empty kind of thing. I struggle all the time with being a pessimist. Um, and I, I maybe it's upbringing or maybe but you're a realist as well, right? I would like to call it realism. I think realism I though think so. often comes off perhaps as pessimism. So perhaps <laughs> I do focus a lot and, and too much. I think this is a, uh, I almost called it a failure of mine. I, I think it's a, 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 perhaps an inadequacy that I, I hold on to is this concept of, of, of remembering my failures too much. I, I reflect Often at the end of the day, I spend way more time filling in the column of deltas as opposed to uh, as, op- as opposed to things that went well. And I reflect on that often, going like, "Wow, I really should probably give myself some credit somewhere." <laughs> um, and so I think I do typically lean my my the things I didn't do well drive me to do better most of the time than my successes. So maybe I'm just more stereotypical in that regard. Um, that being said, I think that successes lend me the capacity to have or or rather they lend me the confidence to learn from failure in the first place okay feeling like i've done something well gives me confidence and it's kind of like okay it softens the blow it it, it allows the fact that even though i focus on failures a lot it doesn't make them feel like hopeless failures it's like no i'm i'm focusing on them because i'm hyper aware of them and i want to get better but i'm working on that that's a that's a personal uh definitely a, a, a personal thing i'm a, a delta that i'm trying to piece of feedback for myself that i'm working on for sure i yeah i mean i think you know in human nature we are so much more headed toward a negativity bias or you know we think about the bad things without giving us giving ourselves a pat on the back first i think it's just a very unique piece of our human psychology yeah, and I'm sure it's cultural as well, and uh, and there's so many things that affect it. But I, I hope that at the end of the day, at least we all come out uh, uh, loving ourselves a little bit more because of it. Um, that's that's the hope, anyway. But you know, we'll, we'll see. That's why I do think climbing is such a great way to to do that because again, it's that type two fun. Well, but even if it was bad, still later you talk about it as if it was awesome. So, yes. <laughs> I'm just like, man, even failure is awesome. Like, and, it, 
failure? Was it failure in the first place? I mean, it's kind of like going skiing and going climbing in general. It's like, yeah, but at least you went climbing. It's like, oh yeah, but at least you For went sure. skiing. Yeah, but at least you did did that. Yeah. Um, you like, know, and because uh, it's like those bumper stickers you see where it's like a bad day doing X is always a better day than the day at work, or better than a day at work or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, and climbing is is definitely a privilege, no matter sure. uh, where you're coming from. Certainly for for others more than most, and and yeah. for me, like climbing is just a sheer raw privilege that I am. I mean, yeah, sure. Have I made sacrifices to do it? Absolutely, but like I I am just a hundred percent on board with this idea that and it is just climbing, even though I totally selfishly think it's very <laughs> important for humanity. <laughs> but it is kind of just this thing that doesn't really help. I, okay, I think it helps society personally. It, it does, it does. We could do an entire different episode on why it would help societal issues and relational issues, organizational communication. Oh yeah, I, I have a minor in communication studies, so I could definitely uh, yeah. see that. I'm currently listening to, <laughs> while I'm working out, the book called Everything is Fucked. And the, cha- the chapter <laughs> I'm on, he's just talking about, you know, I hate to break it to you, but nothing you do means anything in the grand scheme of things like the earth flirting Thanks. with nihilism a little bit the idea i mean Thanks, i think the point of what he's trying to say is like i'm gonna give you the reality <laughs> like here's the base reality but here's and then later on i think he's gonna tell you why what you do is important i haven't gotten that far yet but based on the Let's original book so. i have a feeling that that's where he's going oh sure um i had a question and this may not have ever happened because maybe the everybody that you guide is super familiar with climbing, but have you ever had a guest show up and just had a really strange misconception about climbing or what was going to happen that day? Like, just, you know, <laughs> thinking that they're going up like 50 feet and you're taking up 200 feet or something. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, this is actually great feedback for me that I constantly still find a way to give to myself is that I, I sometimes forget that just because someone is contacting me, even about a course that I have written down what, you know, exactly generally to expect what it, is. Um, it, but, but that, but to be fair to them is that that is really hard to actually visualize if you actually literally haven't done it before. And so, yeah, totally. I've, I, they, we arrived at the base. It was uh, a family. It was in North Carolina. It was a hot, sunny day. We tried to go to a shaded area. Um, there was a lot of people climbing. We, we walked up, I gave them, you know, the shoes, harness and helmets. And I could just, you could see that clearly something was amiss. Uh, that, that they were thinking. And, and these were guests that were just handed to me by the company. Um, and, you know, so we have a friendly greeting. They're great. We're having, they're psyched. They're extremely excited about whatever it is they're going to go do. Come to find out they didn't know what they were going to go do, which by the way, it ended great. It was, it, they had a great time, but they were, oh, oh, I thought we were just, you know, doing the thing without ropes and everything. We were just going bouldering. And, and uh, I'm like, well, that's, you know, that's probably how we'll start at least. But yeah, we're, we're, no, we're totally going to go up there. We're going up there to that ledge right there. I mean, I mean, yeah, and at the end of, by the end of this, you're going to repel off of it. I mean, yeah, is it, oh, we can do that like, without knowing anything. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, that's why you're paying this like, amount of money to, to come out with me. I'm like, I'm, you're, this experience belongs to you. And if I don't give that to you, that is a failure on me. Uh, and so, yeah, totally. That is definitely like, their expectations are often, oh, I didn't think we'd actually go up there. And I think that's what's so great. And I, I, I would hope that instructors and guides are positioning themselves in ways that puts that client expectation reasonably and obviously to their expectation uh, pretty high so that that way that guest gets to leave and say to themselves, wow, I did not expect to do that much. 
hopefully they don't do too much. You know, there's a limit. <laughs> there's a limit. Like, don't put them on the five ten uh, to start out. Um, yeah. And but yeah, I, I that definitely happens for sure. Um, even it still happens now. It's like, oh, I didn't know that this is what we were going to talk about. I'm like, oh, I totally forgot to ask what your past experience was, and that is definitely my fault, and that is not cool actually. Um, it happens way much more rarely now and generally I'm pretty good at it, but like COVID, you know, has changed my whole fall schedule. And recently I was just talking with someone who I like, oh yeah, that's right. I really never asked you where you're coming from in your climbing pursuits. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, it's because it's been like seven months since I've talked to a guest uh, other than the ones I, or I constantly keep up with. Oh, so man. yeah, that definitely happens for sure. Um, expectation doesn't meet reality, but hopefully that it's a good thing in general is what it ends. Yeah. And so I see your website, super well-designed. I see, um, on Instagram, you mentioned 57, the 57 hours app, and then you're also an AMGA certified guide. So do you have multiple, um, avenues for people to discover you as a guide or is there one, like, talk to me about, about all that. That's a whole other conversation that we could spend oh. an entire podcast about is guiding <laughs> okay. in the U.S. and how guides are visible. Okay, well, what about guide, um, um, accessibility for you? Um, oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, I, so in general, I feel very fortunate uh, by way of, sure, I, I, I say things that people like, but I also just through luck got this great marketing strategy via Instagram. And so that's generally how people who request me are discovering me now. Um, guide companies who control the permits for, I say control like they're this big evil conglomerate. That's not the case. It's just, that's the way the system is set up is that permits are often, they, they are better set up to handle a business having that permit as opposed to an individual guide. So, um, guide companies who hold permits for areas will often have guides listed on their website. Um, I work for a bunch of different guide companies, so often I'm not necessarily on any of them. I'm just kind of a guide that comes in and people request me through. Uh, most of my work now, about 60 to 70% is just my own uh, guests who hire me, but sometimes the guide companies will, will just kind of randomly throw me on a, on a booking. Um, and okay. that's, that's how that goes. Yeah. And my, my website, which I probably should keep up with more. Thanks Squarespace. Um, <laughs> yeah. For making it look cool. I'm glad people are saying it has a cool design. <laughs> um, cause I don't know how to code. Uh, yeah, that's, that, that's another way that's been more and more as things have picked up. That's how I'm getting discovered uh, more and more, but as guides in, in the country, generally you're, uh, relying on the marketing of businesses and where you are guiding physically to actually give you guests. All right. Yeah, yeah. So somebody who's looking to become a guide, SPI would be, or just a general beginnings of becoming a guide, um, and a single pitch instructor's course, and then uh, test. Is that what you would recommend as as the tip, the first toe into guiding rock climbing? I do. I think, and uh, even in a, a in a climbing gym setting, the AMJ also offers a climbing wall instructor course. And so even that, but I think if you're going to, if you want to guide in the mountains of the U S I think the AMJ single pitch instructor course is an excellent way to just get this window into it. Even if you're just unsure and the courses that I've co-taught with, with folks, um, the oftentimes what folks are coming in with is I'm just, I'm just here because I want to see how instructors do things. And like, that's, that's great. That's awesome. So you can really get a good, I think a good window into it. So yeah, okay. agreed. The single pitch instructor course, which is three days, 
is great. And then if you're like, oh, you know, I think I'll get a certification that lasts for three years. That's, that's awesome. Well then yeah, take the two day single pitch instructor exam afterwards, after you spent some time thinking about it and are in the industry. All right. Good information. Yeah. Yeah. Psyched about it though. I hope more, more people feel that they can be a part of it. There's a, I'd actually like to throw a plug. The AMJ is doing a great job of uh, putting out a lot more scholarships, especially uh, for women. And there is also single pitch instructor courses happening now specifically for uh, LGBTQ uh, plus uh, community. And those scholarships are, I think, a great way to just, yeah, apply for those, try to get into a course because now they're happening for, for everybody. And I think focusing on that is bringing a lot more people into it. And I'm appreciative of it. Um, I'm a little bitter because they haven't given me a scholarship yet, but that's fine. I, I've, oh. I've got the resources to pay for it. So I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, tell Boulder Denim to sponsor me and then I can work on advocating for your, for your scholarship, Cody. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. No, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think that um, the more individuals that are, that c- should, can start to feel empowered to become instructors and guides, the more people we can get into this environment. So. Will you just say that again one more time so everybody hears that? <laughs> the more people that we can inspire to get involved as instructors and guides, the more ultimate people uh, can actually get involved in the first place. Yeah, the more information that can be out there, the better. So uh, if we can professionalize the information um, in broad categories from uh, all variety of people, the, the better that works for everybody ultimately. So I hope people can feel included and if anyone ever has questions about that please feel free to reach out to me i'm always psyched to hop on a phone call about it yeah and i think that's why we're really fortunate as you're mentioning earlier with all of the local climbing organizations your um, local climbing coalitions uh the american alpine club uh the access fund um there are so many resources to connect with others who are beginning their journey who are in their journey or who are wanting to expose others to the journey. So a quick Google search will give you tons and tons of information. And yes, Cody is quick with uh, answering back if he's not in the mountains without service. Um, I can attest to that. Cody, you did a quick uh, Instagram. I think it was in March with Irene Yi. I don't know if it was like an Instagram TV. You were in your, were you in your van, I think? Yeah, yet again, uh, having trouble <laughs> finding internet where we're moving to when you live out of a van. That's just how it works. Yeah, you're it was in with a Irene back in March. Were yeah. you in like a McDonald's parking lot or yep. in, and so yep. that video, no I just, internet. yep. I just want to let everyone know I was in my dining room. I was in my dining room and just like Irene showed, and I think she was whatever place she was living in at the time. We set up a mock anchor station and Cody taught us how to, um, get lowered after you clean a top rope route. So instead of untying and repelling down, uh, communicating with your belayer at the bottom and learning how to lower. And so Cody does these amazing videos that are super awesome. And that's part of what made me just really follow you uh, loyally. I really enjoy oh, that. Thanks, Emily. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's humbling. It's humbling to hear for sure. That, and, and you and I'm Irene just, people. yeah, you and Irene just worked really well together. And, and as you mentioned, Irene is a phenomenal photographer. She's gotten tons of her work out there and she is um, a huge advocate for women, um, non-binary individuals and people of color and seeing you two work together was just a really cool mix for sure. 
yeah, there's a lot of good people out, out out here doing doing great work and getting climbing to to everyone as much as possible. So I'm I'm psyched to work with all of all of them and yeah, hope it keeps moving forward. And yeah, I really appreciate what y'all are doing and uh, like going through and listening to every like folks who I've just met. I, I was like, whoa, I'm gonna be on a podcast with them. Okay. Yeah, like I was just yeah I was just on Mario Stanley's podcast too and I saw that you know y'all y'all talked with Mario and I was like oh man I'm I'm so nervous to talk to everybody there's all such like big names and cool people oh Cody Jeremy and I really appreciate you joining us I mean you you really went out of your way yes I know you have you get groceries in the town that you're at but <laughs> this is part of what Jeremy and I try to talk about with the mentorship mentee part is that we as leaders in the community go out of our way because we want the environment to be safer. We want the education to be available and people like Cody are doing that. So with that being said, who are some of the people and organizations along with the access fund and the American Alpine club that you would like to plug or promote or any cause that is really just invigorating you right now? And what month are we? September. <laughs> I don't even remember. Uh, it's, September twenty uh, twenty. Uh, it's not still. It's not still July. I know. Um, Is it where, summertime still? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so recently, I have just been on a. I, I have been going to a lot of um, organizations that are promoting diversity within the climbing community and donating to those, and that they are numerous. And I think just go out and search for, for those organizations. Um, and of course, like as, as the pressure gets put on now, I'm like, Oh no, who, what are the individual groups that, that you can go out and donate to right now? Um, access one like can always be donated to. Yes. Yeah. Brown girls who climb, um, and, and, and melanin base camp, and uh chicks climbing and skiing does a lot of good work and um I, I, like you just said the access fund and the american alpine club are doing great things and the another great thing about that is that there are local chapters that you can be a part of um i think if i want to push anything though it's you know because not everyone can donate financially but i do think just supporting by going in and throwing a positive comment just to make someone some of those content creators day better is awesome i know i really appreciate it every single time and you know, whatever attention you're giving me, give to them as well. And um, yeah, join your local climbing organization and advocate for how you feel. And I hope that people can, uh, you know, continue to become more and more open to different voices in the climbing community. And so I, I hope to see more of that. So go get involved and, you know, know that there are folks out there who are, gonna, are, are ready to hear different points of view on things. And I'm glad that's starting. And I'll, I'll just want to say really quick, if you follow and engage with those different organizations and accounts, it starts to promote their stuff through the algorithm. And that's one of the, one of the organizations I'm involved with. We're trying to change the algorithm and, you know, promote, promote, um, uh, diversity, diversity. There we go. Yes. Sorry. Uh, diversity and inclusion. Um, yeah, there's a property called inks ranch, which is, which is right near enchanted rock. The access fund recently i was able to get that property so we're going to be doing some route development very unique climbing tons of route development it is highly undeveloped and That's so exciting and how who has bolted on granite lately in especially in south texas um south it, texas yeah, yeah you, you kind of scratch your head so um 
Inks Ranch and also the Access Fund, um, uh, Brian Tickle is our representative for Texas, and he is very much pushing for diversity and inclusion with route development and bolting, and it's just really evolving, and you do have to be active in finding those organizations and getting yourself out there, but um, give Cody a follow on Instagram. Check out his website. Is it CodyBradshaw.com? Or Brad Ford. Yeah. I'm yeah, sorry. Got, oh, that's okay. That's okay. Actually, Bradshaw was, uh, I got that a lot in high school because well, it was another I did. Uh, individual named Bradshaw. I did that earlier and I was like, huh, Brad, Bradford, my apologies. Oh, it's um, okay. Yeah, doesn't matter at all. <laughs> so we will include all of Cody's information on our show notes as well as the um, companies that he plugged. And any last words before we wrap up, Cody? I want to appreciate uh, y'all for having me. Uh, first of all, thank you very much. And everyone I've been able to speak to recently, and I appreciate my followers. Uh, they, I, I genuinely leave my account reading the comments much better than when I left. I mean, I'm not saying that like the negative comments don't exist, but the in general, um, I just have such a positive follower base, and I hope that everyone can continue to be open-minded and be that way. And I hope that they can all be that way to each other as well as they're doing it on my account. So, yeah. And and that's actually kind of the opposite of what a lot of people say after they've read their comments. Many people say they don't read their comments uh, because people will sometimes not be so nice. So it's really great to hear that yours are, you know, mostly positive. You have a loyal following. And and I think in the most hippy-dippy sense, the energy that you put out is kind of like a boomerang effect. If you throw the boomerang correctly, mm -hmm. you're putting that out to us. And you, we see your passion and we see your desire to educate others. So you, I need you, my friend, to give yourself, my new friend, hopefully, uh, to give yourself credit for the education that you're giving us, the energy that you're giving us, and the consistency with content. So you're doing that as well, Cody. You're bringing that Thank on. Well, I really appreciate it. Thanks y'all for promoting it yourself. And yeah, it's been a great conversation. It's been really, yeah, I, I love it. I love this stuff. So um, <laughs> yeah, appreciate you having me on. All right. Sounds good, everyone. I was just going to say thanks for joining us. Very fun. Bye. Bye. See you later, team.